Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Big On the Inside, the new Who, Doctor Who, Watch Long Podcast. My name's Tim Saxby. Howdy, howdy, howdy. With me, is all, with me, as always, is a man who I once saw wrestle a goose to death. It's Harry Murdoch. How are you, Harry? Um, I didn't know you saw that. Yeah, we all saw it. We all filmed it. It's on the internet. Go and watch it. How are you doing, Harry? You had a good week? Uh, yeah, great week, yeah. It's uh, an earlier recording for us today. We normally record around 8pm at night. Today it is half past five on a bank holiday Monday. That's right, we work on a bank holiday because we're dedicated to the podcast. Now we're going to go through all the Doctor Who news that's gone on this week, but I'm sure as most of you are aware, there was um, um, a Guardian report about allegations towards Noel Clark actually played Mickey Smith. And since then, um, has been various reports and apologies, and also some allegations towards John Barrowman, who plays Captain Jack Hartness of a different nature. Um, there's lots of articles on the internet, you can all go and read about them. Uh, basically, we, we acknowledge it and we know that it's super important news, but we're, we've, we've not really got any further information to say. And what's probably more important is that you guys go and read the actual source itself rather than listen to us bamble on about it. And also, we kind of want to keep it happy over here. We've got some really exciting news coming up. Um, if you do want to hear what we have to say, there's going to be a, like a short, what do you call it, Harry? It's not a description. It's almost like just a little status thing, isn't it, really? Yeah, just a short statement uh, establishing our kind of position on the uh, matter. Yeah, yeah. So go go and give that a read if you are interested but um, like I said, stick around. We've got lots of exciting news coming up. Um, yeah, so that's right about that. You ready to move on, Harold? Yeah, absolutely. Cool beans. So um, it seems that recently, I've noticed anyway, that since the last couple of weeks, there hasn't actually been a lot of Doctor Who show news, but there's been a lot of Big Finish news, and we seem to be weekly now um, covering Big Finish stuff. Are you, as someone who isn't a Big Finish listener, are you kind of getting a bit excited about some stuff from Big Finish? Um, as kind of a very open uh, fan of the kind of excellent era and Christopher Eccleston's portrayal of the Doctor, yeah. um, I have been keeping a keen eye on news surrounding that specifically because that is something that looks very interesting. And yeah. kind of the more information that comes out, the more promising that seems to be becoming. Yeah. Um, so have you had a chance to listen to the short extract that they released of the Ravages box set? It was like a 30-second clip, I think, of Eccleston and a Centurion. Yes, 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 I did. And what did you think to that? Because we've had the trailer and now we've had this sort of short clip. It, this month it comes out. No release, no actual release date given. We just know it's going to be this month. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be... I'm, I'm excited and apprehensive at the same time. Mm. Yeah, and I kind of liked the uh, the uh, uh, short clip we were uh, given. It kind of eased some very, very slight concerns I had from the initial trailer. Yeah. One concern I had slightly in the initial trailer was that perhaps the characterization of the Doctor would be closer to the 10th Doctor mm. than the 9th Doctor, just from short clips from the trailers, such as the whole, I did the thing, temporal thing. Yeah. Although the way that he acts in the um, clip we were given, acting quite um, distant emotionally from the uh, Centurion and kind of trying to fob him off quite quickly, <laughs> yeah. that felt very 9th Doctor to me. 
Yeah, I liked that. He did. Yeah, there was that, wasn't there? It did sort of seem like he just sort of. I can't think of an interaction he has in the show where he's very much like that, but there are several um, where people are somewhat interested and intrigued by the Doctor, and he just, like you say, fobs them off and disappears and goes off with Rosa and does what he wants. Um, well, the thing is that this feels very kind of almost pre-Rose, because if you think at the beginning of Rose, the first thing, you know, even when he talks to Rose initially, he's kind of like, you know, I've saved you. Now go live your life. Yeah. Then- come after me, just leave me alone. Yeah, that's right. And talking of Rose, um, who we know to be the only companion of the Knife Doctor, um, speaking this week to Doctor Who magazine, Eccleston has mentioned about the uh, the fact that there is no Rose and the fact that there is um, what, what, whatever that companion role is going to be for the big finish. Harry, do you have a quote there from Eccleston? Now, I feel if I were to read it, I wouldn't give it full justice um, for the for Eccleston diehard fans out there. So, Harry, in your own time. Is this you saying you want me to do my Eccleston voice? Mm, yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the quote reads, with Chris saying, so far, we've only had temporary assistance that he meets within the adventures. And that's a very positive thing for me, coming back to the character. I think you need to start this Eccleston impression again. It's not. This isn't the best Why? Eccleston one you've done. It's too high. I'm pitched. trying to do something a bit more grounded. Um... No, and we want the knife doctor. We don't want Eccleston. I should have clarified. You want me to go full, really terrible Eccleston impersonation? Yes, please. <laughs> Fine. So far, we've that's only better. had temporary assistance that he meets within the adventures, and that's a very positive thing for me. Coming back to the character, it gives me more room to explore him. I'm going to be recording an episode shortly where he's questioned by the Brigadier, played by John Culshaw, about why he's travelling alone, and he shuts it down very firmly. So there may be stuff going forward where we address that. Lovely stuff. Are you happy, Tim? I'm happy. Um, So it does seem that um, the whole companion-less aspect of the character is going to be a uh, a driving force, it seems, for um, for this first box set anyway. How do you feel about that? It sounds exciting, right? Yeah, the thing I'm interested to hear about is if we're going to get any sort of insight into why he has, at this point, decided to be a loner, and if potentially it links into kind of the whole time or stuff, and the fallout of that, that he feels like... I'm just interested to hear what kind of justification they go with, whether it's kind of after all that, he just needs time to be alone to process that, or if maybe he feels he doesn't deserve companionship after what he's done. Yeah. I'm just kind of interested to very much hear that perspective and what they go with. I wonder how close to the Day of the Doctor this um, box set will start. Because it's obviously earlier on in the Doctor. Do you think we'll get? Do you think we'll get a post regeneration scene? Uh, I, w- I would hope so. I would like to think so. Maybe not straight away. I feel if they're doing the Cybermen and the Brigadier, I feel like maybe save some stuff for future. But then I think like we've mentioned before mm. how um, obviously Chris seems to be having a great time with Big Finish, but when more work becomes available, um, how willing is he going to be to come back and do more Big Finish in the future? So is it a case of do everything while it's here or is it a case of, you know, moderate it and release mm. it slowly and sort of be more patient with it? I think it's a bit of both and there's a fine line that they have to try and of tread on because i know they've also mentioned the idea of doing multi-doctor stories that we talked about last week i think or maybe the week before um yeah we did so that's exciting as well but it's you know i don't want everything at once because it's, it's not a special anymore it'll be like getting 
it'd be like just waking up Christmas Day, going outside, and all your presents are already unwrapped. And want to know they're there, and I want that build up of knowing that there's a possibility the ninth and tenth Doctor could meet, and mm. that he's going to meet the Brigadier and the Cybermen, and you know, are we going to get a, a, a follow up with Rose? Is Rose going to appear in some of these stories as well? You know, just some fun things like that. Mm. I do feel that with this special, with these um, big finish audios, especially with Ravages, um, this is just entirely kind of you know baseless predictions but i get the sort of vibe that perhaps the story will start kind of following the character the supporting characters within ravages the century and all that and then the ninth doctor will enter the scene almost okay. into rose rather than as following the doctor from the start yeah. which if that is the case i imagine there wouldn't be any kind of post-regeneration scene which yeah. feels good you know like you said it kind of leaves breathing room it doesn't yeah. kind of completely because if these specials started with the post-regeneration and ended with like just before Rose him going after you, <laughs> your tons, then there would be literally no space for anything else. No, you're right. You're right. I also feel like, yeah, no, I, I'm, I was just going to irritate. What's the word I'm trying to say? What's the word? Irritate. Re- re- reiterate what you were going to say. Reiterate. Yeah, that's the word. Um, other, we, we'll carry on with Big Finish. We've got some more Big Finish news here. Is that there has recently been, um, I think it was on the Big Finish podcast, Nicholas Briggs, or one of the co-directors of Big Finish, mentioned that they have been in talks with Capaldi and Smith to come and do some Big Finish adventures. Um, both apparently giving the same response that Eccleston gave, which is yes, but not now. Now is not the right time for me to do this. Uh which, you know, I'm excited. I would really, really, out of the two of them, would really like some Capaldi audio stuff. I feel like that would be uh, more exciting, especially with Nardole and Bill. We only got that one series. Um, yeah. How long do you think it should be after playing that role on telly to then come in and doing some big finish work? And whilst you answer, I'm just going to look to see when David Tennant first did his... That's my, that's what my question was going to be. How much time was there between Tennant leaving the role and coming back? And also to take into account that in addition to the gap between him leaving in End of Time and him going to Big Finish, there was also him being in Day of the Doctor, which kind of adds kind of an extension to that waiting time. I don't know. Um, um, I, I think Day of the Doctor was also whilst he was also um whatever you know he was also doing big finish at that point oh was he was already doing two, f- big 2000 finish by... actually no i uh, no i am completely wrong david Tennant's first or one of his first um big finish was in 2016 uh, okay so so he kind of he left 2010 three yep. years they did uh david doctor another three years and he did um Big finish. Uh, the first big finish. Yeah. It's been, well, at most that's six years. And it's been more than six years since Matt Smith has left. The thing is, yeah, has, hasn't it? Yeah. Matt Smith is having a pretty successful <laughs> career in American television. I mean, you know, he's one of the main characters in an upcoming Game of Thrones spinoff, which is yeah. probably going to be like the new biggest show on TV around the world. Yeah. We've all seen those pictures of him with his lovely William Hartnell white wig. And also in the Crown as well, and there's something else he's working on as well. That I can't exactly remember. He's in they... the next, an upcoming like the right film, isn't he? Oh yeah, um, late film. last night in Soho or something like that. It's a vampire film. It should be exciting, I think. Matt Smith is a vampire. 
I'm not sure if he's vampires. I know it's got vampires within it. I think. Let me. Shall I find I can the description see him of as a vampire. Edgar Wright. Edgar. Oh, he's also. I know he's Morbius. not the main character. He's in the Morbius movie alongside. Of Jared course. Lester. Yeah. The uh, the Spider-Man villain. Yeah. The whatever Morbius it's going to be. Yeah. Um, is Morbius night... also a vampire? <laughs> he is actually. Um, last night in Soho. Um, uh, I don't think there has been a synopsis released yet. There hasn't even been a trailer. And it comes out later on this year in October. Really? October this year, um, a young girl, uh, a, a fashion designer, is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters her idol, a dazzling wannabe singer. But 1960s London is not what it seems. I'm sorry, I'm trying to read this, but in the top corner, they're playing like a thing of Edgar Wright. I just saw that swan from Hot Fuzz and I lost track. Uh, <laughs> and time seems to fall apart with. Shady consequences, and it's a horror film. I think it's vampires, I could be completely wrong, but yeah, it's got Matt Smith in it. Um, yeah, it's got some other people in it as well, so it should be good. But anyway, Doctor Who, well, um, we'll be seeing it because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, so Smith, I feel like, is currently off the cards just because of how busy and successful he is right now. Yeah, um, I think Capaldi is also, you know, he's kind of he's gone the off to LA himself, school. hasn't he? He's in the series. On that being said, I'm, I get the vibe that he's one of the characters who's going to die super early on. I don't know because um, for anybody who's seen the Suicide Squad trailer, there's a scene where the rest of the squad are interrogating Capaldi's The Thinker, which makes me think that he joins about halfway through. It makes me feel like there's a, an early team okay. that then get dismembered, blown yeah. up, and then they have to reform with a second team later on that Capaldi will be in that. Yeah. Well, maybe they will kill him off. It, it, it seems like a too obvious of a choice, I feel, to kill Capaldi off. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What I mean, I, I, I have my own kind of predictions for that film, which is, this is, I mean, I don't know, if, I, I'm not James Gunn, but if I was doing that film, we've always seen, I would have, like, the first act be a super, like, elaborate, like, introduction of all these characters, like, going into all their backstories, really properly establish all of them. Then, like, at the end of the first act, just have a huge action scene where most of them die. <laughs> Harley That's Quinn? Do it. Yeah. Just because it would be... But, but Harley Quinn's obviously going to live. Harley, like, I feel like all the cast from the first film are going to live, and I reckon, like, Polka Dot Man, I feel like he's going to live just because he's funny. It would be funny yeah. if Polka Dot Man lives. <laughs> That's true. Um, Harry, last night, did you watch Line of Duty? Have you been watching Line of Duty? Uh, that's something I need to go back and watch. I know that it was the finale last night and it was like, Not well received. it got super great ratings. And I know that people were disappointed by it. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Um, maybe if I, maybe now that's, now that it's happened, now would be a good time for me to go back and watch the whole thing mm. with that expectation and maybe I'll be able to receive it better. I'm not sure. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. So, okay. So there's been a, a, a number of names from Line of Duty thrown around to be uh, the, the the replacement for Jodie Whittaker is the 14th Doctor. And I, I do think that you want, if you are trying to find out who that actor is going to be, you want to be looking at shows like Line of Duty and Peaky Blind, you know, these big BBC drama um, programmes. Mm. What else is there? There's something else at the moment. I can't remember what it is. But um, you want to be looking at these big programmes to try and see who Chibnall, maybe not Chibnall, as I'll get to in a minute, is going to cherry pick and possibly... Uh, take from these programs. So the current uh, favourites from these shows are, of course, uh, Vicky McClure, who is uh, the lead and actually plays Kate, I believe, and also from This Is England, 
there is Kelly McDonald, who we've mentioned before, who I've since found out is um, from Train Spotting. She's the young girl in Train Spotting that Ewan McGregor has uh, a romantic interest with, and also appears in the in the second Train Spotting as well. And the most recent one from Motherland, as well as Line of Duty, is Anne Maxwell Martin. Um, I haven't seen Line of Duty, so I can't pass comment, and I know you haven't as well. So I can't really pass comment on either of these. Um, as actors and what their talent is, I would kind of rule out um, Vicky McClure though, because I feel like she's now too um, too big of a name to take on this role. She's almost got that Phoebe Waller Bridge syndrome for Doctor Who, which is there. Th- there was a point maybe a year ago where they could have done it, but they're now too too famous to do it. They've surpassed Doctor Who, yeah, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say because Doctor Who's like still a big show. But then, like, you get these BBC dramas that can get really big audiences. Yeah. So, no, but I, if, what do you think then about these? TV, would you advise people to start looking at these programs as well to try and get an insight into? So I, I, I wouldn't recommend people look at the main cast. You want to be looking at the supporting cast and things like that. Mm, yeah. Maybe someone like, no, I'm not going to do that. I was about to do a cheeky name drop. Gone. Who was you going to say? Um, I know that there's um, been one cast member on Line of Duty, an actor called Nigel Boyle, who has been in previous series, but he was more prominent in the most recent series. And me on my AMA, I was lucky enough to uh, um, take part in kind of a Q&A session with him because he was involved with my drama school oh, cool. uh, way back when. <laughs> I could, I could that's, just, that's just literally an excuse. That's literally an excuse for me to go, hey, guess who I know? <laughs> I could maybe see it. I could maybe see him more as a villain, though, than a... Uh... He has... I, if you're looking at his headshots uh, since those, he has um, grown a beard out, and his hair is curling. So maybe that's more fitting. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Maybe he's actually Tom Baker. We've never realised. <laughs> um... Oh, you know, a bit of a Paul McGann thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. He hated that hair, apparently, Paul McGann. Paul McGann wanted what Eccleston got. Wasn't I think... that... That wig. was a hairpiece, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, he shaved it for a different role. Yeah. Actually, um, what is the date today? It's the 3rd. So next week, you'll be able to hear our thoughts on the Doctor Who TV movie because it'll be the anniversary of that. And we've also got our um, interview with um, Matthew Jacobs, the writer of the Doctor Who movie. So go and check that out as well when that comes out. I'll, I'll mention it again next week. But first of all, Harry, the last piece of news I've got for today is that... You will be very happy as a Chris Chibnall hater. You constantly are shouting the words oh, well, chip did... balls on the internet. Jody bad, I... chip balls. I... He hates it all. Uh, that there is a, a new rumour going around that Chibnall will be leaving Doctor Who at the end of um, this current era alongside Jodie Whittaker. I would like to uh, clarify that <laughs> I... I, I... Um, I'm quite <laughs> fond of Chris Chibnall. Um, but... I love him. <laughs> Harry and Chibnall no, sitting, sitting in, in a tree, tree. Talking, okay. about, talking about how much they like Doctor Who, which is what I would do <laughs> if I was in a tree with Chris Chibnall. I've had a, a crap king convo about Doctor Who. <laughs> um, yeah, so the rumour is that apparently when Chibnall signed up for the Doctor Who job, it was rumoured that he had signed up for five seasons and now it's sort of being a, a sort of tweets and people now saying it's actually five years. And since he got the job um, to now, it has been um, five years 
um, alongside Jody. I know there hasn't been five seasons because they've been doing years on, years off and COVID and things like that. Um, but apparently, writer Peter, I need to double check the name because I'm not sure I've wrote that right. Peter McTie, M-C-T-I-G-H-E. Is that how you pronounce that, Harry? Yeah. Yeah, he is the front runner to replace Chris Chibnall. He has wrote for Doctor Who in the past. Most recently wrote Kablam um, for Jodie Whittaker's era. Any thoughts on this at all? I personally think Chibnall's going to be sticking around for a little bit longer. Yeah, I feel like there's kind of very much been a... I know Doctor Who is like the one show of all shows to kind of break formulas and conventions, but if you look at um, Moffat and... Russell, they both had um, runs which encapsulated at least two doctors, as in new doctors in the starring role, not counting mm. war doctors, fugitive doctors, etc. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Chibnall would be feel inclined to do the same, especially since a lot of kind of the way that he's running the show seems to be trying to encapsulate the same kind of energy and style that Russell did. So I feel like for that reason, it would make sense for maybe I don't know, maybe we'll have if it is a five season series contract, maybe series fourteen and fifteen will have a new doctor, or maybe Jody will stick around for longer and maybe for an extra series, maybe a series fifteen would be some kind of like handing of the torch thing. Or I, I don't yeah. know. There's a lot of ways it could be done. Um it does feel a little early for Chibnall to leave at the current point in time. Do you think that's also like... because Doctor Who hasn't been on our screens as much as it was? You know, Chibnall's been around for five years now, but because Doctor Who's been on again, off again, COVID and all this, it doesn't feel like that era has had its time to mature. Perhaps, yeah, that could be it. Yeah. And I couldn't think, I don't know why, because pre-COVID, it was kind of a slower production cycle than it was for, um, at least it felt like a slower one than it was for uh, previous showrunners. I don't know if that was just because of weird scheduling on the BBC's part, because obviously the Series 11 came kind of later in a year, Mm. and then... And it was a weird thing, the weird way it was all timetabled. So I'm not sure... I know that, that. I think we spoke about it last week. Is that Matt Smith said, and Peter Capaldi's all they say is like working in a TV factory. If you do like nine months of shooting and then three months of promo and all that Mm -hmm. stuff, and then you're back filming again. So it's like an endless cycle of Doctor Who. So perhaps by having the year on and year off sort of thing, it's allowed for um, people to enjoy it more within it. Whether or not you enjoy it as a viewer Mm -hmm. is a completely different thing. But it's allowed for the creatives and stuff to be able to do and also do other things as well. So I think, therefore, that Chibnall and Jodie probably are going to stick around for another series. If if it isn't announced that Jodie is leaving at the end of this series, I will be surprised that if we get to the series final and she regenerates, I'd actually be quite surprised to see that. If I, yeah. if I had to put money on it now, I would say she's staying. Yeah, same. Because yeah. I feel like a surprise generation isn't it just isn't something the show does. Like if if they're gonna have a regeneration, they want people to know about it, so they'll tune in yeah. and see it. Like it it's kind of an, the only exception I can think of was kind of you know um, 
was it what was it called the series four finale two parts oh, uh, uh yeah i know what you mean yeah but the one where it kind of ended <laughs> on the unexpected cliffhanger we all thought it david starting to regenerate yeah that was i mean although that was kind of different because that was a point where doctor who was massive and like mm. the biggest show on a saturday night so everyone was watching it anyway yeah so they didn't have to concern themselves with letting people know yeah i'm just looking here um doctor who series seven um is it, it was series seven wasn't split into two was it series seven yeah it was series seven because like had seven oh, yeah, a which was amy and rory and then 7B, which shoes Clara. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm just looking here. Christmas special. Yeah, because it was announced Matt Smith to leave Doctor Who at the end of the year. Um, 1st of June, 2013 is when the BBC announced that. So 2013, 1st of June. And then March, April, May. And then there wasn't a Doctor Who episode. So Matt Smith did, the name of the Doctor went out, Series 7 finished airing, and then they announced he was leaving at Christmas. So um, the name of the Doctor, Series 13, final episode, 18th of May 2013, then on the 1st of June 2013, they announced that Matt Smith was leaving Doctor Who. Um, Although, you can counter that by saying that Eccleston, it wasn't announced he was going to leave until three weeks into his series. <laughs> yeah, I feel that was maybe a slightly different uh, situation, but I yeah, would, well, if Jodie is, if, if is going to leave, it's not going to be in, in the series, it's going to be at the end of the year in the special. Mm. Would be my Most guess. likely, yeah. Yeah, so I wouldn't be expecting an announcement for a, a long time. Yeah, it's going to be well after and series first, it's gonna be a long, 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 long time, time till the BBC tells us what's happening with Jodie Whittaker. We start she staying on the show, or will she go? She's a loose cannon. <laughs> loose cannon. I don't. Jodie, by all, you know, from what I've heard, she's anything but a loose cannon. Exactly. I'm sure she's great to work with. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I uh, would expect an announcement until I can't remember when they said that series 13 was going to air. I don't think we've got a date. It's going to be around summertime, I imagine. Probably not. Actually, no, they're still filming it now. So I think it's going to be around Halloween yeah. time, you know, till we get series 13. Similar to series 11? Yeah, so if you're going to get an announcement, it's going to be around November time, perhaps. I really do not know. Um, but yeah, any any Doctor Who news that we haven't spoken about yet, Harry, that you've seen that you thought, oh, we should talk about that. Um, should we do the obligatory part where we talk about how David Tennant's going to be in the 60th? Because we seem to do that every week. <laughs> uh, you know, I did think about that this week. What, what, I can't remember in what context, but I saw something and I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I went back and I started watching interviews where people had asked him if he was going to be in the 60th. And I think he said uh, that he generally doesn't know and it's not up to him he said they might just not ask and that actually got me thinking i thought i thought oh well we talk every week about the 60th and we go oh well capaldi might come back and smith and Tennant will come back and oh hopefully eccleston will come back and we don't know about jody but what if they wrote the 60th and it was just not a multi-doctor episode so like have they was the uh 25th 25th was like that wasn't it uh the 10th anniversary was the three doctors, the twentieth anniversary was the, the five doctors, and then the thirtieth was the two doctors. 
Oh, the f- I think I think that was the occasion. I don't think the, I don't think that was an anniversary special. The two doctors. I can't remember, but I'll have a look whilst you tell me what you think. I know the fortieth was just like that special thing on gold. Gold. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. whilst I look that up, what do you think about the idea of having a, a Doctor Who anniversary without multi doctors appearing? It'd just be a question of if that is what they chose to do, how then would they kind of mark the occasion? Yeah. Um, what else can you do? Because um, kind of the obvious thing is kind of bringing back old doctors. Yeah. Um, what What do you feel like they could do instead? Really all... Maybe just do something really, really big. Like just a feature length special, but would you, would you like the them to bring back companions? Kind of, maybe companions, maybe like well, I was going to say multi masters, but kind of that's been done. Yeah. Um, I really maybe just kind of bring in some a lister, you know, like how for um, the War Doctor, uh, Moffat jokingly wrote, played by the biggest actor and the most famous actor in the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe just like just bring in like an a-lister who you'd never expect on doctor who to just be on doctor who as a character yeah you know I'm... like i don't know benedict cumberbatch's rassilon or something crazy like that <laughs> i'm looking at it sorry it's taking me a while to find out when the two doctors aired because i googled the two doctors it says air date 13th of january 1973 which would only make the show 10 years old so that doesn't make any sense yeah (laughs) Um, i'm on tardis wiki here let me see what tardis wiki has to say 1985 Uh, oh no that's when that's when it was set anniversary at all no um premier broadcast 1985 16th of february yeah i don't think it was an anniversary thing Uh, they released it in 1985 to celebrate uh, the release of back to the future yeah they probably did yeah why wouldn't they want to do that i think martin michael j fox there you go he would make an amazing doctor or just christopher lloyd just have the doctor regenerate into doc brown i would love that for five minutes and then he walks out the tardis and like like gets hit by um libyans or something like that i don't know and then just instantly regenerates into somebody else. But for the rest of time, we have to canonize Doc Brown as the Doctor. Doc Brown. Doc Brown is just kind of like that. Doc Brown was a time world all along. Yeah. Sure, I get with it. Yeah, why not? He, he lost his TARDIS, so he had to make do with uh, DeLorean and Plutonium. Yeah, and he married someone called Clara. So there you go. It all makes sense. Um Never That's... got over that dress that was just a little too tight. <laughs> oh, I die so cringy. I don't want to do those episodes. She, it's like what you said the other week. And that, that was not actually. That, that was just like an online special thing, wasn't it? Oh uh, yeah, it does. But it's that thing that you said the other week, where the, where it's Stephen Moffat's writing process. Him going. So what if the doctor meets a woman, but she's sexy and smart? <laughs> It's it's on record. It's on record. Those like interviews with Crystal D on the Doctor Who YouTube channel. You yeah. can find it. Edit. They're actually great she's... interviews. <laughs> they are really good because it's after he's done the job, so he's very open about what it's actually like. But it is very funny when he's okay. But what if she's sexy? <laughs> so is that it? Is that the only thing for River Song or, or Amy or Clara? And they're, they're, I mean, it's justification for it was like it would be funny. It'd be funny if it was a sexy one because the doctor wouldn't know how to react because yeah. you know he's the doctor <laughs> that's very true that's very true 
Um, should we move on to the watch along, Harry? What is it this week? Uh, hey, you know, no, it? it is, it is. Like, I, I got it wrong in my brain. Yeah. When's, you know, I can't remember the last time that I went on like a proper long car journey, you know, but with like lockdowns and pandemics and all. There's yeah, not well, reason. The good thing about lockdown was that the roads were quite empty, so there was no chance of getting stuff yeah. stuck in traffic jams or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Or well, like even more extreme, I remember like when I was a kid, like driving home from school, like when school was closed early because of it snowing you'd think that's great but actually it's not because the streets were packed and usually like a ride up to like tennis would take like two or three hours because the roads are completely gridlocked oh you know speaking of gridlock Jeez, that that that's one of the better ones it makes more sense but it was one of the longest boringest ones that we've done so far Wait, so do you not find gridlock like as just general discussion about traffic interesting do you not find traffic <laughs> thrilling imagine the people listening to this going oh, finally they're going to talk about gridlock and it's just us going well, what do you think of traffic <laughs> i think i think we should change the podcast to um so bigger on the inside stuck in the inside longer on the road the <laughs> traffic podcast <laughs> Then, like the theme tune could be that uh, that that song where it goes beep 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 yeah. No, it's, just, it's just it's just car horns. It's just a cacophony of car horns. No and people swearing at it. each other. Little little bit of road raging there as well. No, it's sure. David Hasselhoff. Uh, that thing about his car or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, what? I don't know. He sings a song about Night a car. Rider? No, not Night Rider. He sings a song about a car, doesn't he? David Hasselhoff. The, the Night Rider is like him in, in with the talking car. Yeah, but he sings a song, David Hasselhoff. Song about David Hasselhoff sings a song in so many things. You need to. It's called Jump in My Car. Jump in my car. I'll jump in my car. I want to take you home. Jump in my car. I'll. It's too far to walk on your own. Oh. Uh, uh, come on. <laughs> I'm a trustworthy guy. I'm a little girl. I wouldn't tell you no lies. How can you say that we only just met? Oh, she's got me there, but I'll get her yet. This is fucking weird. <laughs> no, you don't. I can't. I have to admit, um, Dale Hasselhoff's discography is a, a gap in my cultural knowledge. <laughs> no, um, you didn't. I was catching my breath. And look, it's starting to rain, and baby, you'll catch your death. Uh, come on. Oh, come on. Uh, come what the heck? His, his lyrics, lyrics don't make sense. Ah, uh, come, it comes nothing to try and you'll arrive home nice and dry. Jump in my car, I want to take you home, jump in my car, it's too far to walk, and so on and so on. So it's about a dude cruising. It's just cruising and he sees a, a little girl and it's raining and he's like, I haven't got you yet, but I will. So get in my car or you'll catch your death. It's a lovely song about innocent young love. Anyway, talking of innocent young love, go listen to Gridlock. Bye. Shut up. Shut up. Shut the up, up, up. Podcast scans detect you are not subscribed. The Daleks order you to subscribe. Resistance is futile. Failure to subscribe will lead to extermination. Seek, locate, subscribe.
fucking having you all. Harry, what was your thoughts on the news? Um, it happened, and it was the news. Your reaction was reactionary. Good, safe grounds covered it all. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the watch long segment of Bigger on the Inside. And um, still Tim and Harry. I say still Tim and Harry. Maybe one of us wasn't there. Maybe one of us tragically died in a in a biscuit eating competition. Have you ever entered a biscuit, Why a biscuit comp- eating competition? I just had a ball. Do those on. exist? I imagine okay. so. I imagine there is. You've got a, biscuits like a, on the mind. I've got biscuits on the brain. I can't, can't control myself. I'm going to change my name to Gary Balding. Um, <laughs> we're back, everybody. Uh, we're watching series three, episode three, which is called three. What Harry? Yeah, three. Gridlocked by Russell T. Davis. Now, is it gridlocked or gridlock? Well, now I have to check. It, <laughs> Just because. If I never addressed it for the episode, it's going to be one of those things. It uh, Nope, it's uh, present tense, so it's Gridlock. So what are we watching this week, Harry? Gridlock by Russell T. Davis. Okay, cool. Um, now, I had... I, uh, I, uh, no, I won't mess the format up. I will, answer the, I will ask the same questions, because whenever we change the format up, it never goes well. What did you think of Gridlock, Harry? I really enjoyed Gridlock. Um, I kind of think of this episode as almost the end of the kind of unofficial, I don't know what you'd call it, like Far Future or New Earth trilogy of End of the World, New Earth, and this. I kind of consider it a sort of unofficial trilogy. And of those three, I'd definitely say that this is the strongest of those episodes. Yeah, I didn't really think of that until big old face of Bo showed up and I was like, oh, we're doing this again. Maybe, uh, listen- maybe it's the face of Bo trilogy. Yes. What we call it that. The, the Bo trilogy. Face of The face of Bo trilogy. That works. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of a minor character in all three episodes, but he's kind of the one thing that connects them. Is Novice Haim? Oh, she's only in two. And she nearly came on this podcast until yeah. she ignored my emails. How rude. Um, yeah, I sort of said, yeah, the first note I've got here is that it is like this continuation of the End of the World trilogy. How did you feel about that? I sort of, the part of me, after we've already done it twice, was sort of like, oh, we're doing we're doing this again. But it doesn't really play into it so much. I mean, it kind of sets yourself up for here we go again from the start with Martha kind of saying, oh, you're taking me where you've taken your last companion. Hmm. Kind of, she was quite disappointed about it. Did you notice when he taps on the screen and he goes, oh, that's where I was before? It's not like new footage or CCTV footage. It's just footage from New Earth. It's just, they've just taken footage from that episode and put it in that little CCTV clip. Just put a little filter uh, on it. It's exactly the same footage. Um, what I want to know is, can anybody in Doctor Who read anybody else's body language? Because Martha, for two episodes consistently now, has been completely unable to read the Doctor's body language. Um, this time, when talking about Gallifrey at the start of the episode, you just go back to it later, we'll talk about it later. But um, at the start of the episode, when she's like, I want to go to the planet of the Time Lords, and he's clearly um, trying to move past the conversation. He's like, yep, nope, okay, sure. It's like just really quick one-word answers. Um does stuff like that maybe get in the way a little bit for you? Do you notice it as much? For me, it's one of the few elements where I go, oh, that's maybe a little bit for 
kids almost, like they're dumbing down a little bit. Not that it is dumbed down, but it's not as complicated as it maybe could be. I don't know if I think of it as for kids as much as for the audience. Mm. Um, though I feel like, I mean, that's an interesting one because you're right, you're right. It is something where maybe Martha should read the room a bit more on kind of how disconnected the doctor is when speaking about it. Though at the same time, she doesn't, really have any reason to at that point think that's a taboo subject or an area she shouldn't go to and also you know the doctor's this weird alien dude who's been behaving kind of strangely for all the time that she's been with him so she might just kind of think that this alien race behaves a bit differently to humans and maybe that for her makes it harder for her to gauge and read the doctor yeah, so the opening of the episode really starts with them arriving on New Earth. New New Earth or New Earth? Which one is this? Oh, no, no, it's New, it's Earth, new Earth. And then New, 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 New York. And then, so they step out the TARDIS and they're not in the same place as they were with Rose. They're sort of in the slums, is what I think Martha calls it. And they walk down this alleyway. And all these different shop windows and different stalls, almost like a funfair caravan, burger van sort of thing open. And they start selling sort of future drugs. Um, and the Doctor is very quickly, you know, when Martha gets kidnapped, he's very clear that he wants to close this street down. I couldn't really understand why he suddenly was so angry to close this street down. Is it just because they are selling future drugs? Or are they drugs? Because people seem to be quite willing to go and get them. People don't seem to be like... It's not like crack or cocaine or weed. It's, I just want to forget this thing. A bit like in uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It's almost, I just want to forget this horrible event. But he's like very adamant to shut that down. Thoughts? Okay, firstly, um, I'm very happy to hear you've seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind because that's <laughs> a phenomenal film. Um, but secondly, on the subject of these, I mean, they kind of established very early on that although these aren't explicitly drugs, they're, I think the doctor refers to them as moods. Yeah. They kind of are very clear to establish that they are meant to be kind of an allegory for drugs because Martha just kind of says, oh, well, it's the same thing. And so I feel like this is just a bit of social commentary from Russell saying that he's quite against this concept of people taking... um, taking this uh, artificial medicine that makes you change the way you feel and makes you less of yourself. I mean, I don't know how far you would want to push that. It's a bit of a blurry line between how much of this we're meant to take on face value and how much of this we're meant to read into as a metaphor for that. Um, I think there's stronger stronger ones in Doctor Who than this, because this is probably one of the early times where I've gone what's the motivation here? I don't really get it. Well, where is it? actually, no, I did get it, but it wasn't 100% clear. It's a motivation where I sort of doubted my own yeah. instinct afterwards. Um, but I do It does it. feel admittedly... Go, go sorry. sorry. It kind of feels admittedly like kind of, it's this cool idea as part of this world building that Russell had. Although, whilst it does kind of play back, come back in the end of the episode... 
it is a little bit of all the elements of this episode probably the one that i would have appreciated being fleshed out a bit more yeah that almost seems like it could be a story yeah. within itself like who is behind um these and are you know is there a, a worldwide event that they are trying to get people to forget anyway um mm. I do love the Doctor's determinism when Martha does get kidnapped. Like he's instant, even though he's only known her two days, really, or one more. He's been on two adventures with her, but his determinism to get her back um, straight away after she's been kidnapped. He's, you know, he's just like straight back to the the druggies. <laughs> he's uh, trying to find out where she went. Um, this is a really good Tenth Doctor episode. I felt going through it. I felt this was a really strong one. There's lots of moments in this where that sort of coolness of the 10th Doctor really sort of comes through. Yeah, and I feel like another advantage that this episode has with the fact that he's rescuing Martha, someone who he admits he doesn't know, he barely knows, Yeah. Um, in comparison to Rose, it kind of reminds you a bit, really, of the just kind of the heroism that the Doctor has, that kind of he is willing to really put himself on the line to save people he barely knows. And at the end of the episode, he saves, you know, everyone who is uh, gridlocked. And it kind of, um, especially after the last series where there were so many instances where the Doctor was all about trying to save Rose specifically, it's kind of a refreshing to see him just kind of being just as active for just to help, you know, regular people who he isn't yeah. close to. Yeah. Um, we touched on it a minute ago, Facebook and Novice Hame. Would you excited to see them back? Is that something that you liked? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember as a kid, it being like a cool thing that these characters came back. Um, obviously, I'd only seen them once because I hadn't seen series one. <gasps> um, Not a true fan. Nah, I don't <laughs> but, uh, when, when... <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I remember, was there was there a face of Bo toy from character? Yeah, there was. I had one. Was that one of the toys? Yes, because I think kind of for me that was probably my biggest exposure to um, Doctor Who before I watched the show was kind of those adverts with those toys, and so. Coming into the show, I had this impression because the face of Bo was one of the toys that he was like this major character. Actually, yeah. watching the show now, I realise he's only in like three episodes. That's it. But but then he is a major <laughs> character. He is in the future or in the past. You just don't know it. <gasps> Wibbly wobbly tiny Um A character I really like in this is Brannigan, played by Ardello Harlow from Death in Paradise. Um, again... Almost joined us on this podcast. Unfortunately, um, we contacted a fair few guests from Series 3, but it was at the time when we were coming out of and back into our lockdown, so a lot of people didn't really know what they were doing, so it was quite hard to secure people. So we couldn't get Ardell. Um, but yeah, I think he's great in this episode. He's so funny. He is. He's a lot of fun, yeah. He's just, he's just... Sorry, go on. Considering that he's, you know... A cat person. He's surprisingly one of the, kind of the most kind of grounded and relatable characters. He kind of reminded me. Yeah. He gave you that same kind of vibes as kind of that someone like Jackie or Mickey would in a present day episode. They kind mm. of take you. Kind of. I mean, I can't really say they ground you because they're suspended in midair on a flying hovercraft. Yeah. 
I, we spoke about it a minute ago, the coolness of the Tenth Doctor. Now, I think a lot of that comes from the sequence in which he's jumping from car to car with his little, uh, band, not really bandana, his face mask, really. His um, face mask, yes. And, the and music then later from... on we find out this city is in a 100-year quarantine. You can't <laughs> escape the COVID analogies. <laughs> Even in last time when Face of appeared, the hospital went into quarantine. <laughs> Russell knows he knows something. Is it? Is 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 this virus going to follow us onto New Earth? Is there really no escape? Is it going to be with us forever? But that sequence is super fun. The way the test doctor is just like this sort of cool pirate, just the way he's jumping around from car to car. It did lead me to the question though: is why has nobody else done that yet? That's a question, yeah. And also, the question I had asking was, with all these people driving around, surely after so many years, if you've done like a full loop, or maybe has no one been driving around long enough to do a full loop yet? I don't think so. I think you can do a full loop if you go below, because that's what Martha's car say, don't they? they say, oh, we'll go around yeah. again. But if you go below, you die, don't die. you? Die. Uh, let's talk yeah. about that. The Macra. First scene in the Terror of the Macro, 1967, in Patrick Troughton. I just know that. That's how good I am. Did I look at a note? I looked at no notes. Uh, no this, notes. I didn't realise that was a classic monster. I yeah, well, no you might not realise it's a classic monster, Harold, because unfortunately it's one of the episodes that has been erased by time. Nobody has a copy. Oh. They are yet to find a copy. There is only the odd clip available. Um, but there, I do believe that they found the audio recordings for the episode. So there is a animated version of that show, of that episode you can watch. Um, we should do some of those. We should watch at least one. I've got Sharda. We'll do mm, Sharda. Yeah. Ooh, that'd be good. I'd yeah. like to watch some. Because uh, I know that most of the animated specials are either Troughton or Tom Baker. Uh, well, Tom Baker's Sharda. And yeah. those are the two classic doctors I'm most curious in watching. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of the ones that have gone missing are Troughton. So, um, yeah, we'll have to do... Maybe we will do Terra Macro. Let us know. Uh, what did you think of that? That was good? Yeah, that was a cool... Well, now I've just, I'm just wondering about the design of it and whether... <laughs> did they? I'm guessing, did they have stills from the original episode that they used as a reference? Or were they going completely kind of just a lot from bigger. the audio? From, from what I... Are you talking about the animation? In, no, in this episode, in Gridlock. For what I can see in Gridlock, they are a lot... Because they're hidden quite a lot of the time by the, by the fog and the mist. And so they're a lot, they are a lot bigger because when they hold one of the cars, it's like me holding a pen almost. It's very mm. small. But in the, in the original Terror of the Macra, there's a scene where one of the companions get attacked by one and her like, torso is like the same size as one of the, one of the claws on a crab. So they're a lot, lot bigger. In that case, when it came to the animation, did they just use the original episode and still from that as a reference for the macro? Or did they look at Gridlock and use Gridlock as a reference for the sake of continuity? Oh, I don't know. I'll have a quick look. I imagine that they stuck with what was in Terror of the Macra because the I imagine um, of the because I imagine that um what am I trying to say here? What am I trying to say? That the audio, yeah, you can't really, you have to sort of sync it up, I imagine. That said, I'm looking at a few stills here, and they have big old crabs. Um, what are your thoughts on crabs, Harry? Are you, um, you for or against crabs? 
Um, I have nothing against crabs. Um, crab sticks taste nice, though crab sticks aren't actually made of crab, are they? They're like fish with crab flavoring. I think so, right? yeah. I mean, you know, crabs are cool. I can vibe with crabs. They're a cool old creature, but, you know, make them giant and they're kind of scary because they're these giant... Crustaceans are an interesting... They're weird. You don't really know how to place them. Like, are they fish? Are they giant armoured bugs? What are they? So kind of that kind Armored of... bugs. That's, a, that's what they kind of look like. If you look like, like a scorpion or like a, a lobster or a crab. Yeah, like they're like kind of a giant bug that lives underwater. Crab's it's like kind of, a, a scorpion that's been to war. Yeah, I mean, if, yeah. Kind of, if you look at or describe a crustacean to someone, it's kind of who'd never heard of them before. It would seem almost alien because they're, they're quite unlike anything else that we have on this planet, you know? I quite like the top two monsters where there is elements of real life animals mm. sort of involved. Um, an element that I did like in this is that there is a reason why this character is in this, but I thought the inclusion of um, what can only be described as Mr. Ben was very interesting. <laughs> in his little bowler hat. Sat there, just casually enjoying being on his own. Um, that was a fun character. There's a lot, there is a lot of fun, very short appearance characters. There's the two ladies. There's Mr. Ben. There's Brannigan. There's the two virgins and the big hairy cat person who live together. There's a lot of things going on. I was thinking watching that, that... Russell and the set and costume designers clearly had a lot of fun putting those weird and wacky things together. I remember I saw some journalists talking about the end of the world um, from series one when it first came out and describing it as a very kind of Douglas Adams-y Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy feel of all the weird monster designs. Yeah. And you definitely get that kind of very quirky, uh, campy sci-fi vibe with this well, episode. Yeah. Well, you might notice that at the start of the episode, like the pre-title sequence, is uh, an old man and an old woman getting killed yes. by some macra. They are, if you look at them, they are the characters from the famous painting American Gothic. Um, mm. It's them, and so they're in this. And then I, I know this because I listened to the audio commentary as well. As Russell said that it's, it's from what I picked up on what he was saying. Anyway, it's a very Russell T. Davis. Uh, thing and he was started to talk about this is on the audio commentary as well. It's getting away with quite a lot for a BBC audio commentary. He was talking about the sexuality of a lot of these different characters and saying that there's a cat having sex with a woman, there's another cat having sex with two chained up virgins in when they call down. You know, she she looks more like a cat than Brannigan does. Uh, there's the two lesbian old ladies and there's a lonely businessman all by himself. So despite it being aimed at children and families, Russell still is able. Not that I have a problem with it at all. It's able to put in some classic uh, Russell T. Davis moments in there. Yeah, there was the one question I have about those cat people human relationships is a simple biology question, which is if if we see a couple that's a cat person and a human person, why are their children just? regular cats i did think that maybe they grow up and they sort of develop human instincts do they grow up and... okay maybe maybe it's maybe. like That's american a... werewolf in london but in reverse so that bit where his bones grow into a cat into a werewolf they just grow into a big meaty yeah. chunk <laughs> yeah that 
that's that's strange to think about. <laughs> uh, going back to another Mr. thing, which sorry, go on, no, you first. Because sticking on kind of like the more adult themes within this episode that would go over your head as a kid, there isn't as much of a kind of explicit adult theme, but something I don't think a kid would register, which is that the couple that kidnapped Martha, one of them is wearing an honesty patch mm. on their neck. And kind of Martha actually criticizes that and that she's oh, yeah. with someone and yet they still need to... I find that interesting, like the implications of, you know, this, there's this couple, their life partners, they're going to have a baby together. And yet one of them still feels that they can only be trusted if they wear this honesty patch on their neck that forces yeah. them to tell the truth. Yeah, because Martha yeah. rips it off, doesn't she? She says you shouldn't be using these yeah. while you're pregnant or whatever. But yeah. No, yeah, I think, yeah. There's, I bet we could go back and look at different episodes and notice more similar themes that just flying over our heads. Um, going back to Mister Ben, um, I just want the reason that character is included and the style of this episode and different odd little characters that appear is Russell based the look of this off um, Mega City One, which is the fictional city from the Judge Dread comics. And in that, there is a businessman who looks exactly like the businessman that we see. So there's your little, uh, for all you Judge Dredd fans out there, if there is any, uh, <laughs> there you go. There's that for you. And the American Gothic. Yeah, so for, for fans of art and comics, we like to please all on Bigger on the Inside. Um, the Doctor's reaction to meeting Novice Haim. I really like that, because he's like, Novice Haim gives her a hug, and he goes, hang on, get off. <laughs> That's just kind of very indicative of the Doctor. The Doctor's always excited to see people, and excited to, even more excited to see people they've seen before. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. You wonder, are there, do you think there are certain like explicit monsters that the Doctor would react in a similar way to? I bet so. You can go imagine, oh, no, wait, it's the Savine. Oh, wait, no. Savine, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like, I, especially if he hasn't encountered them since. Almost like a fan reaction. Go, oh, it's the side, it's the sea devils. Cool. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would that's be that's I always enjoy. No matter like how kind of brooding or angsty they may get, they always have that joy and love of the universe and the people that live in it. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna skip the rest of my notes really towards the end of the episode because the rest of the episode sort of is self-contained within these little carts, these little cars that fly around um the world, not the world, sort of New New, 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 New New York. But what did you feel about the fact that there isn't really a villain in this episode? There's the macro, but they don't really do much. The macro is just kind of a monster. Yeah. An all-consuming monster, yeah. I mean, it wasn't really something I thought about until you mentioned it, that there was no real villain. Yeah. It's not like, I know uh, in Capaldi's last episode, they kind of make a big deal about, oh, there isn't an evil plan or a big bad guy. But here, like, that's also the case, but I didn't really think about it. And, it did, and it, they didn't need to acknowledge that there was no real villain. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't feel and in like... in a way, that's kind of more effective. One. Yeah. Yeah, um, it doesn't feel like I need someone pulling the strings. It still functions and works without that. Mm, definitely. Um I'm going to skip along to the end. Do you have anything else from the middle of the episode that we haven't spoken about? Um, no, but kind of going to the finale, because I imagine you want to get to the meaty stuff. I just want to make the observation. As soon as we kind of, the sky opened and we saw 
New, 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 new York. I had to count on my fingers. It looks a lot like Coruscant from the prequels, don't you think? It could do. I'm not too familiar with the prequels, but I actually know you are right. Yeah, I can see it now. Yeah. I didn't never thought of that. Yeah, but no, I'm good. The imagery. Yeah. Definitely. That was the first thing you showed me. There was just kind of the you know the CG of the time, or the fact it's a futuristic city. But that was immediately what hit me when I saw it. <laughs> no, it definitely does. The the, the yeah the, one of the main things of this episode is that the whole payoff of this episode sort of comes in the last ten minutes with the death of the face of Bo. A moment's silence, please. Thank you. How did you? It's quite sad to see the face of Bo die. I remember when he died when I was a kid. I was pretty. I didn't cry, but I remember going, "Oh man, that sucks." I really liked the character of the face of Bo. I liked it when he turned up because it was such a, a visually appealing prop. It looks really cool, mm. and when I've seen that at the exhibition and stuff, it's a really cool prop to look at because there's really like minute details on it. Um, but yeah, they got to take the big old face out of the tank. Uh, I must say. That the tenth doctor gets an amazing line in this where he says, "Don't go dying on me now, you big old face." As he's trying to say, as he's trying to save everybody. Um, yeah, what do you think to the death yeah. of the face of Bo? It's weird how well it works because obviously this is a character we've only met the times that the Doctor has met him, and yet despite that, the Doctor treats him as this old dear friend and. The way uh, kind of in those final moments he talks to him and treats him is with such kind of affection and reverence mm. and just kindness. It really works. And I do feel like, oh, oh no, I don't want this guy to go. Yeah. I, I, I listened to the audio commentary, watched Confidentials, the rich they were saying that even on the day when they got to take it out the tank, like I think people were like welling up on set because it was like, oh man, the face of Bo's dead. But it's just this big rubber thing. There's <laughs> no one there. It's not like it's a, a man in a costume. You know, there's a guy stood on the side of the set reading off a, a script. But um, yeah, that's about it. So I think it's quite strange that it does have that effect on people. Um, did you notice, because I didn't, and this episode came out in 2007, so it's been... Uh, over 10 years, yeah, over 10 years since this episode came out, that that whole end sequence takes place in the same set as the end of the world part, the end of the world. Like that meeting Was that room. the same set? Yeah, it's the same set, but they've just redressed it, dimmed all the lights. Yeah. I had no idea. That did not I'd register with me at all. No, it didn't me. And I've that's one of my, it's one of my favourite series three episodes, I must say. But I've never ever noticed that until I until last night when I watched the uh, listened to the behind the scenes stuff. Um anything else you want to say about Oh, you are not alone. We should probably talk about that. That's kind of yes. exciting. <laughs> um Yeah. What does that mean? Oh well we know what it means. Let's not talk about what we know what it means. What did you think it meant when it was first said? When it was first said, I really didn't know. No. I guess the idea that the Time Lords weren't all gone, that maybe Gallifrey was still alive in some form, or was perhaps it, or that someone else survived at the end of the Time War. But obviously not knowing any of classic Hewitt's history 
or any of the characters from it, I, I did not anticipate what we eventually got. See, I knew what had been before because I like did a little research, but I didn't expect them to do it. What I do vividly remember and being very annoyed at was that as soon as he says, you are not alone, and it says Y-N-A-N on the screen. I mean, that's it's not until that epi- uh, um, utopia, is it, that we see that visual? Oh, sorry, it's not, but he says, you are not alone. Um, yeah. As soon as that was said, my mum, who I was watching it with, went, Yana. She said that. She said that word. She said the word Yana like that. And she went, oh, I bet that's... She knew that that would have something to do with it. And I just, I was like, oh, don't be so stupid. You've just made that up. Um, but yeah, maybe the cat, maybe the name Yana does have some um, repercussions later on in the series. Anything else, Harry? Anything else about um, this episode? Um, obviously, um, the way that Martha confronts the uh, doctor yes. and forces him to reveal it, it's very different. Again, it's kind of it's interesting to see how Martha kind of. Because these are the sim- very similar beats to the ones that we saw Rose go through back in series one. And it's interesting to see how Martha tackles them very differently. Yeah. Um, She's Rose more kind of, confrontational. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I was about to say, Rose waits for the Doctor to feel like he's ready after that initial argument. But here, Martha is adamant and is just going to get it out of him. Yeah, I feel like when Rose first met the Doctor, he was still sort of, I don't want to say in shock from the Time War, but was sort of reclusive in himself and didn't want to express himself. But Rose knew that he should, so she sort of waited till he felt comfortable to do that. But now he is, but he's just keeping secrets for the sake of keeping secrets because he doesn't really trust people, maybe. But Martha's like, I know you're not telling me the truth, so what is it? Rather than... I'm just going to wait for you to tell me because she knows that she, he can tell her. He's just choosing not to. Mm. Um, anything else? Anything else, Harry? Um, I just think it's a very lovely note that it ends on. Like the way it's just a great piece of acting from David Tennant when he does finally open up and start talking about Gallifrey. Yeah, and that is kind of it's one of probably one of the hardest acting challenges in playing the role of the Doctor in really trying to sell the fact that you've lived this life that's longer than any human can live and you've experienced those things and you've lived on this amazing planet. But in that moment, you really buy it. You believe, you know, they experienced that, that he remembers that planet and that he, the things he's describing are things he remembers from this long ago time. Yeah, definitely. Um, Oh, just before we move on, one thing I did want to say is it's time for a quiz. Uh... I got him again. Three questions. Um, can you name the name of the newscaster? The blonde woman who is reporting the news every day to the citizens of New York. What's her name? No, I can't. Ah! Hologram. <laughs> she has a name. The character has a name. What is it? Melanie Newsbury. Sally Calypso. Well, I, I gave you a name. 
<laughs> what is the gender, or what will be the gender of the child that Ro uh, that Martha's kidnappers are having? They're having a baby. What gender will that baby be? Is it a girl? It's a boy. Last question. When the doctor hands Brannigan his coat, he tells Brannigan who gave him the coat. Who gave the 10th doctor his iconic trench coat? I remember clocking that and thinking that would be a question you'd ask me. <laughs> but now in this moment, I can't for the life of me remember who it was. Pick anybody from history. Uh... You could be right. It's a very specific person. It's not just some general, like, king or queen or something. It's a very specific historical figure, and I can't... Go on. Just name someone. Janice Joplin I know this is the complete... answer. Yep. Just because I feel sorry for the oh. listeners. <laughs> you yeah. probably know. Do you sometimes... So you got nothing there. Zero out of three. Well done. Uh, do you watch the episodes and think, ah, oh, Tim's going to ask me about that. I should remember that. Sometimes I do. Sometimes <laughs> if there's a really specific thing that the Doctor like alludes to or references, I kind of think that could be a question Tim's going to ask me. <laughs> and it was. You, was just... you know, there's always a question about like one odd throwaway thing that the Doctor says. <laughs> you always pick one of those as a question. Oh, I, I do, yeah. Maybe one week you should write down what you think the, what you think the questions are going to be. Um, one week you should question me you should do it back to me one week you should go oh Tim I'm going to do the quiz on you but don't tell me when um, do you have anything to recommend Harold before I go I just want to tell you um, I'd actually like to recommend because you mentioned it A Title Sunshine of the Spotless Mind yeah it's a good film it's a great film Charlie Kaufman uh, it's directed by Michelle Gondry stars Jim Carrey and uh, is it Kate Winslet Kate Winslet Mark Ruffalo yeah it's uh, is Mark Ruffalo in it? Yeah, he's one of the scientists that um, fits the colony that he said. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great cast, great film. It's probably Jim Carrey's best performance that he's ever given. It's a much more naturalistic, grounded performance than what he usually gives. It's a great story conceptually. It's great visually. It looks stunning. It's a fantastic film all round. Cool. I'm going to recommend um, the band Years and Years now. They're probably best known for being singers and songwriters, obviously. But um, Oli Alexander... Is it Oli Alexandra or Alexandra? Ah. It's Oli Alexander. Oli Alexander. Um, Richie from It's a Sin, the Rusty Davis series. Now, they've done a cover of It's a Sin by the Pet Shop Boys. And I just put their stuff on Shuffle on Spotify this afternoon. And uh, they've got some really good stuff on there. A lot of covers that are really good. Um, so, yeah, go check those out as well. But whilst you're also on your mobile telephone, go over to Twitter um, and follow us at Bigger on the Inside, uh, Instagram, Bigger on the Pod, YouTube.com forward slash Bigger on the Inside, ACASHows.ACAST.com forward slash Bigger on the Podcast. Uh, big, yeah, Bigger on the Podcast, yeah. Leave us a five star review on iTunes and tell a friend and also subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, you've got to follow us on Twitter because whenever we get exciting guests who could possibly be joining us, we do um, tend to announce those on Twitter and tease them on Twitter to see if you can guess who they are. Um, by the time you listen to this, you will already know who the current guests are. We have two. Well, we currently have one recorded that will be coming out um, 
in the next I think by the time I won't say it just because I don't want to spoil it in case I haven't said it that will be coming out within two weeks and then one that is yet to be recorded and is just on the edge of getting confirmed will be coming out the day before that one so you will have two days of exclusive Dutch Team interviews with people involved in the show how exciting is that Harry? That is incredibly exciting. I feel like the interviews that you do are some of the best things that we put out. Sometimes you get to be a part of them, and it's always a joy to be able to chat to people about their experiences with Doctor Who. And even when I'm not, they're always a great listen. Yeah, definitely. So go check those out. There's a playlist of some on there. We've spoken to Albert Valentine, who played The Empty Child. like One of literally the only interviews he's ever given about being in Doctor Who. Uh, we've spoken to a few Doctor Who artists, Johnny Morris, big Finnish writer, Daniel Evans from The Christmas Invasion, also theatre performer, theatre director, and many more as well. Um, so go and check all those out. There's two more on the way, hopefully two more on the way, or one guaranteed, one possible. So go and check those out. And I will see you later. So I'll say goodbye. ta everybody. What do you want to say, Harry? Do you want to say goodbye? Bye-bye. Woohoo!